the incomparable. Number 132, March 2013. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Uh, this is the Incomparable Podcast. I'm Jason Snell, your host. I have not been bombarded with gamma radiation. Um, this is an episode of the Comic Book Club. And joining me, as usual, for the Comic Book Club are Charter Comic Book Club members Lisa Schmeiser. Hi, Lisa. Good evening, everybody. And Jason Brightman. Hi, Jason. Hey. Now, this was your idea to talk about the way I've been describing this is the many hulks that i have known uh the hulk the hulk but more more than that the kind of like other hulky things including the she hulk so why don't you give a little uh, introduction to our uh, primary topic for tonight yeah so this uh crazy idea to dis- <laughs> to to discuss uh she hulk um which for those of you out there who aren't as familiar with she hulk she's bruce banner the hulk's cousin, cousin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, who apparently uh, first appeared in uh, 1980 in a, in Savage She-Hulk number one. So that's uh, just a bit of trivia I just looked up. Back when she was Savage. Back when she was Savage. Um, but we're not looking at the series known as Savage She-Hulk. Uh, we're looking at uh, her second series and her, I think it's the third or third series. Yes, in a series of, of failed series. A, a failed series, <laughs> but the... Uh, um, so we're actually looking at a character um, and her her uh, treatment by two different writers and two different series that were similar yet different. The uh, Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne and the uh, just self-titled She-Hulk uh, that was written by Dan Slott. And then af- after we're done with that, we'll we'll maybe branch out into some other, other kind of Hulk-related things because I find this whole... I find it actually kind of bizarre that there is a, a you know, a Hulk family of things mm-hmm. because the Hulk <laughs> as a character in his own right is kind of um, problematic and peculiar. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit too when we get a chance. But the assigned reading was these two defunct um, She-Hulk series, which are fascinating because I, I was reading comics, I believe, when um, the first came out. And I think I might have been back reading comics when the second one came out. And I have no... I think no recollection of either, which I think <laughs> it explains why they didn't last very long. Yeah, well, the the the, the first series, the Sensational She-Hulk by uh, John Byrne, um, sort of at the height of John Byrne-ism as he was writing the fan- writing and drawing the Fantastic Four on what's considered one of their best runs. Um, oh, yeah. He did this She-Hulk series as well as several other things because he was writing and drawing a dozen books that a month at that time. Uh, but the the series is interesting because it was one of the first series that broke the fourth wall and, and had the character aware that she was in a comic book and she spent some time talking to uh, the writer um, mm-hmm. a, about the, the dubious decisions he was making with her series. Yes. Which, uh, and it's also the, the, the there's a great there's a great um I've got the trade and I think my my absolute favorite part of the John Byrne book is on pages 126 and 127 when she runs across the advertisement and she says <laughs> don't ask questions we're into the zen of comic books here it only works if you don't think about it <laughs> mm-hmm. um I have to note that the letters column for this comic was called she mail <laughs> And also that uh, there was a great uh, cliffhanger in issue two, I believe, where they cut off the She-Hulk's head. They actually Mm -hmm. 
cut off a She-Hulk's head, and then for most of issue three, she is a disembodied head. <laughs> Until it's realized that in in like a very quick hand wave that it's all been a misdirection and her head was never actually cut off, um, but it doesn't matter anyway because it's just a comic book. So yeah. yeah, that that was pretty much the tone here. It's funny. I I guess John Byrne was kind of a made man at Marvel when he did this, so he could do. They're like whatever, do whatever. Well, he he created he helped create Kitty Pride with Chris Claremont. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that that was a lot, and then he also he was big on the X Men. Um, well, yeah. So he had the he had that big run with Claremont yeah. on the X Men, and then he yeah. and and Claremont had a had a, a conflict, a creative conflict, and so Byrne left and went off to do you know basically I forget the timing. I think it was almost immediate though. Went off and did mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, which like Jason said was a a legendary run and that's I remember reading that and that was he made it a, a, a you know a bizarre mm-hmm. sci-fi book p- put She-Hulk in the Fantastic 4 for a while too so obviously he has this a great affinity for this character but I feel like at that point he had enough uh, c- uh clout at Marvel that they let him do this um sensational She-Hulk series did it really only last 8 issues Jason No it did uh 8 issues under Burn um and then it switched direction, um, uh, and there was a different writer and artist. But then Byrne came back with issue 32 and um, started off issue 32 with her waking up from a, a dream of the past, whatever many <laughs> issues since he left off on issue eight, uh, and then continued the tone of issue eight for another like 15 or 16 issues that haven't been reprinted. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know what led him to leave the book. Um but he came back and, and just picked up where he left off. Huh. So I think the uh, uh, the tone was interesting. I always remember, uh, I didn't read this at the time when it came out, but I do remember the first issue cover, which was just a, a, a three-quarter shot of She-Hulk standing there um, with holding an X-Men comic in her yes. hand and yes. saying, okay, now this is your second chance. If you don't buy my book this time, I'm going to come to your house and rip up all your X-Men. Yeah. Which uh, I still remember those sort of ads in the Marvel comic. Didn't get me to read the book, but I remember it. Oh, this book has just such great 1980s aesthetics too. Oh, I was the the first time I read through the John Byrne book, I I was transported back to the the Bush one administration for sure. Uh, just oh yeah, <laughs> with the with the style that they draw, the the hair. Everyone has this crazy full volume hair, oh, yeah. and uh, and and She Hulk has a lot of green hair. Oh, a giant yeah. mound of green hair on the top. It's yeah. insane. Well, even when they make her the alter ego Glamazonia and they cover her with acres of makeup, it's the same thing. And John Byrne um, also does a wonderful job of, of using people's physiognomies to uh, broadcast whether they're good guys, bad guys, comic relief. Um, it's it's almost like anime where you've got these these very clear visual conventions as to who falls where on the heroism and uh, villainy scale just based on how they're built. In the uh, page 86 of the trade, it's a great, she's getting dressed for her new job as the uh, assistant district attorney of Manhattan, (laughs) and it's just a panel after panel of 80s fashion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it reminds me of is um, back in the 1920s and 30s when there were several movies where you'd have these long fashion interludes where Edith Head obviously was just given free reign to throw up on the screen whatever she wanted. And and this reminds me very much of those sequences where the characters have to politely be it, politely pretend to be interested in a fashion show. Because I was... <laughs> what What is the point here? <laughs> if, if there ever was a character who didn't need shoulder pads... It's this one. It was the She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. John Byrne... Um, 
is i mean he he represents the 80s in comics in it, it for me too but and I, I look at the art and i'm immediately transported back to those mm-hmm. x-men issues to that fantastic four run to the oh original gosh, Al- yes. alpha flight series oh yeah oh, alpha yeah. flight right <laughs> And this yeah. is this is not not something I was familiar with. But... Oh, when Rogue had the hair with the crazy Pat Benatar headband in it too. Oh, yeah. oh my God, yes. Yeah, and, and and the storytelling here is, I mean, in in the She Hulk series, it's it's so strange and meta. It is it is telling like the, it's got the trappings of a comic book story, but it, it it's almost like something you'd see. And you know, Marvel always has been very self-referential, and mm-hmm. and and this is you know whether it's a you know, whatever Irving Forbush or a, you know Fing Fang Foom that just Mary mm-hmm. Marvel marching society. Oh, this tone is kind of like that, where it's like we're playing with these Marvel characters, but it's never really serious and. Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre actually because it's so broad and weird, and yet then you know then there's a tie-in and and she's with the Fantastic Four. It's a it's a really it's kind of crazy. But like I said, I get the feeling like John Byrne was allowed latitude at least for a while. He was allowed right. to latitude to just do these crazy stories. I, I was struck that the um, all of the characters that he puts in it, the headman in the first couple issues that cut off her head, yep. and that crazy one that had that red ball. Um, and then uh, later Dr. Bong and stuff. These are all Marvel villains that, um, are terrible, go go back into the sixties and and things like that are just terrible. And And the fact that he goes and resurrects them and just embraces their terribleness. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dr. Bong was a, uh, uh, Howard the Duck villain, as was that woman with the round head. Um, so the fact he's using Howard the Duck villains to come in and fight She-Hulk, um, amused me to no end and the fight with Stiltman, i think is some of still of my my favorite panels in comics in i guess issue four or page 102 of the trade where she's uh fighting Stiltman, and then he knocks her down by stamping on her into the subway <laughs> which then does the banging of her head oh yeah yeah as the train passes by um and then she just pushes both legs collapsing Stiltman, and then catches him as he falls down i saw that page on ebay a while ago uh, and bid on it, but it went too high. Stiltman is um. There's another good villain there. He's got stilts. Right. He's really, really He's tall. tall. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. Fear me. I am tall, and my center yeah. of gravity is a little bit off. And that's the same issue where she puts on the various outfits. Yes. Yeah. That's a classic. <laughs> um. So, it, it, one of the things I think that's interesting about the She-Hulk character, particularly for the '80s. Um, you know, the 80s is when it was the Dark Knight and Batman Year One, and it was all about the grim and yeah, gritty so serious. superheroes. And she's absolutely the exact opposite of that. Yeah. And it's, aw- and it's awesome. Right. Because he, he's it seems like his informal manifesto through all of this should be comics should be fun. You should always remember that it should be fun to read them, and I'm having fun writing them. Mm-hmm. But it's just this, this whole book is just... When I, re- I, I read the two back, to- first I read them separately, and then I read them back to back. And this book is just so much more fun and less angsty. And she's got a fine sense of the absurd, which when you think about the, the sheer existence of a, of a She-Hulk to begin with, I think you'd kind of have to have a, a healthy appreciation for just completely ridiculous uh, situations. Well, I love the contrast between the two books, because both of them are taking a humorous approach. Um, but... Uh, while in the the latter series, the, the Dan Slot series, um, mm-hmm. it's he's trying to write a humorous story, 
um, and where the John Byrne stuff, it's just he, he's kind of embracing the absurdity of comics. Yes. Um, and and not mm-hmm. trying to write a funny story so much as just going, you know what? All comics are funny. These are funny books. And it's just completely ridiculous. It is. I, I, I kind of find the uh, single green female series by uh, Slot to be kind of sad in a way. It's, it's, it's a little depressing. I'll be honest with you, especially when she gets, gets kicked out of Avengers Mansion. Um, oh, I thought that was great. Well, it's funny when even Tony Stark is like, okay, you know what? No, this is a little <laughs> bit too much under one roof. But um, I really loved the the slot series, which is from when when exactly? So that was um, after was Marvel went into bankruptcy, and uh-huh. so we're looking at like early two thousands. Yeah, it's um, a and look at the early two yeah, thousands in comics. Joe Casada just became became editor in chief and uh, was essentially Marvel had nothing to lose. Yeah. They had nothing to lose. So they were trying anything. And this is one of those series with a kind of crazy direction, um, of, you know, essentially they're doing, um, Ally McBeal with She-Hulk. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, that's, that's probably explains why I didn't connect with it. I really didn't like the series. Ally McBeal I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think it, I don't think I would say it's Ally McBeal. I, I would say it's almost like LA law. <laughs> Except it's super, loved it's, Law. It's, it's a superhero. It's superhero law. The whole idea is she's always been a lawyer. Why not do? And so she gets hired for a law firm, and it's great because she's having this crisis of confidence. It's like you know, can I not be respected for who I am? I, I, I am only respected because I'm the She Hulk, and even then, not so much. But in my regular life as an attorney, Jennifer Walters, all of this. So she finally gets this this break. She thinks, and it turns out it's to work in the law firm, but it's to work in the superhero practice in the law firm, which I love because it ends up being these stories where. Um, you know, there, there, there are still fights and things, but, but there are also these bizarre cases when you start to think about it in terms of, of what would be the legal ramifications of having these superpowered people around, which I, that, that tickled me and actually reminded me, I mean, Lisa, you and I have talked a little bit about uh, all, some of those ramifications, the legal ramifications and what <laughs> happens when the fights are over and you have to clean up after. Well, cause that in, uh, Marvel late. 80s they they had a series called damage control which was about the construction company that was hired to always clean up after these oh, superhero the messes yes. wikipedia has something on it hmm. yeah and actually in the the dan slot series um the damage control people are there it's where hercules ends up getting a job right um after he's sued and loses all his money so i really that? I really appreciated that that that, that there are these. There's a trial where a ghost is called as a witness. You yes. know. Oh, I love that. And she figures out why he's lying. It's it's. Uh... Yeah, that. So I really I I enjoyed it because it was not as the burn stuff is nice from a nostalgia um, purpose and it, and it is crazy. But the the slot series, I you know I really I really enjoyed reading it. I having not known that it even existed. And and uh, I feel like it really got in a roll, and then you know I was sad that uh, obviously that it lasted almost no time. But um, but I like the premise that that you know she's trying to. I mean, just superhero law as a premise, it's it's ridiculous, and and you know why not, right? I mean, it's like I love that mashing of those two things together, and having this character who's kind of sympathetic because she wants to be more. You know, she knows that she's kind of a second-rate superhero, and she wants to to do something unique. And her real unique skill is that she's all she's a superhero who's a lawyer. So this is the perfect place for her in a way. 
I, I feel like I think I feel like there's a lot of books that kind of tread that ground with because when you think about it, if you're not in the DC universe, if you're not Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman, you are second string, if not third or fourth string. And I can remember when I read the Seven Soldiers uh, book Grant Morrison did. That was the whole point to that was the whole Zatanna introduction was her awareness that uh, you know she was she was not even B Squad, she was C or D Squad. And and Marvel kind of does that too. Yeah, I think um, the difference is is some some uh, every hero is number one in their own comic book, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think the difference is the heroes that realize and like like with She Hulk, I see this. They're not, you know, they, they may be the star of their own lives, but they know that they're not in a mm-hmm. way that you know the Flash maybe doesn't really understand that he's not as cool as some of the other people or Aquaman, <laughs> <laughs> but. But She-Hulk like gets Poor it. Aquaman. Mm-hmm. She knows she's a second stringer, and she knows that there is this place way that she's unique. And uh, yeah, so I think in the 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 Burn series where it's the absurdity, and it's just about She-Hulk is having a great time. And then the Slot series, they take that to the kind of extreme, and it starts off with She-Hulk is this party girl who's bringing home a different guy every night and wrecking the Avengers mansion with her parties, and then they're throwing her out. Um, and it turns out she's kind of doing this because she is somewhat you know, depressed or or not not happy with her life. And there's that scene at the end of the first issue where she's in the bar, and mm-hmm. the the well known villain, the Blizzard, you know, attacks her um, because she ruined his chance to be a a name and he's tired of being sent back to prison with all those the other small time losers. Uh, and rather than fighting him, she's like, well, you know, do you want a drink? And he's like, okay, sure. And then they're just drunk talking about the bar about how he's talking about it's, it's hard being a nobody and nothing. And then she's like, well, it's actually not so great being a somebody either. And it's shallow and hollow. And um, I thought that was kind of really interesting with the character and, mm-hmm. and maybe it speaks to that sadness that you were talking about. Then she's got the offer at the the law firm, but not. They don't want to hire She Hulk. They want to hire Jen Walters, who she's not a fan of. But the, yeah, yeah. But it, and it's that either or, right? It's Why like, can't well, you take all of me? Is is basically the theme through the whole thing? Yeah. So so I guess we've got you know a kind of a mixed response here because I really like the Dan Slott series and I would recommend that to people because I thought it was kind of a kick and fun and and a different take on. I just love those like let's take let's accept the superhero world and then say if that is a real world then lots of other things would come from it including yeah. how would how would the law deal with these superheroic uh you know events not whether it's destruction or whether it's a possession or a ghost or whatever and that's what i really liked about it is it was kind of a light touch it was funny it, you know it, it, i think jen walters is a likable character and then you you get to see a corner of superherodom that you uh you don't normally see, which was, uh, it was just fun. It was a kick for me. Yeah, and I love the character of awesome Andy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, he was, it, when he starts communicating in glyphs, <laughs> you find out he's a Yankees fan. <laughs> right. And awesome Andy out there is a, um, he's the, the mad thinkers, synthetic Android villain who is, yes. has, you know, either gain consciousness or is malfunctioning depending on mm-hmm. your point of view. And he's sort of the, um, he's a gopher. He's like yeah, the, he's the gopher at the law firm. Yeah. Well, he is. And they refer to him as awesome. Andy. awesome. Andy. Cause again, <laughs> instead of having a super team, what they've got is a super law firm. Mm-hmm. But you know what this book kind of reminded me of is the Luna brothers book ultra. 
where superhero superherodom has been basically turned into a celebrity type of commodity. Um, they have they have award shows and they're they're subject to stuff in gossip magazines and uh, and and a lot of the gossip is a lot of finger wagging over ethical concerns about what happens when you date a superhero, et cetera, et cetera. So so there's a little bit of a zeitgeisty crossover, um, and it was actually published around the same time too because Ultra came out between. Uh, August of 2004, March of 2005. Um, that said, this one definitely has more tongue-in-cheek humor, and I do like that they call back to uh, some of the classic She-Hulk stuff, like calling her Shulky. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? The thing calls her Shulky when he helps her move into her new apartment. Yeah, I like when they sued, or when Spider-Man sued um, the Daily Bugle. <laughs> and Jameson has to dress up like a chicken. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It, it's, it is... It's, but it's 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 the Ally McBeal vibe I can't quite get over, and and I admit that's my own personal bias. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's your own baggage there. It, it is. <laughs> I, I, I admit it. It is. So one of the things I thought was interesting, you know, we've talked about um, female characters in comics before, and, and I always find it interesting when those discussions come up that She Hulk is never mentioned, even though she sort of headlined her own book, what three or four times now and and while each individual series may not have been like a huge commercial sac- success um writers are certainly interested in her um but she's never brought up in those com- those conversations when you know people are talking about catwoman or or batwoman or supergirl or any of those sort of or wonder woman you know yeah. but here are these books where it's a uh an interesting female lead um, and you know maybe it's because the books are are taken more um, in a humor direction that they're not taken seriously. Yeah, I I wonder how much of that is that she's seen not just as a, uh, I, I mean she's seen as a derivative character too. I mean I, I I mentioned the Hulk before, and I would like to talk about other kind of Hulk family related things, but but <laughs> that that comes to part of the problem with the She Hulk is that you know she is literally the she dash other Hulk. character right yeah. she is she is the derivative female offshoot of popular character and i think that i think that's part of the problem is that she's not you know she gets the name recognition cuz she's got hulk in the title and she's green but she also is always going to be viewed as as a you know a spin-off character she doesn't even have her own identity really she's just the female version of the hulk and you you get to know the character and you know that there's a lot more there but you know, the fact is, from from a, a distance, she's not really iconic. She's just a a, a female spin on a, a different iconic character, which is, uh, you know, not the same thing. But what I guess what I'm I, what I'm getting hung up on is because you mentioned Hulk family, and I thought you, there's actually been a fairly successful Bat family. They've managed to spin that out where you've had Batman, Batgirl, Batwoman. Um, yes, and, Batman Incorporated, Batman Limited Liability Corporation, and then you've got <laughs> you've got Nightwing and right. all the different Robins whom I've lost track of, and uh, Batwing, Darkwing. Yeah, why could why couldn't you, uh... Mrs. Batman? That was less successful, Mrs. Batman. No, you're right. It's been yeah. franchised in a way, and yeah, and and that's and and that's fairly clever. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that's sweet generous to the DC universe because I can't think of another. Uh, of another Marquet type hero in DC that's managed to fill it out so well. Um, maybe the Marvels with Ms. Mar- with Mary Marvel and, and Captain Marvel. 
but uh, that that's still fairly limited. Whereas if you had something, you could have Hulk and then She-Hulk, but they, they still haven't managed to uh, build that kind of, oh, look, they all have something. In... Well, other than being big and green, the characters actually have nothing in common. Where I mean, I, where, where, whereas I guess the thing with the bat with, with, with the bat family, as it were, is they all kind of have a shared ethos, maybe. As long as the ethos starts with, we don't ever question Bruce Wayne. <laughs> right. We're, we're all mad Bruce Wayne's parents were killed. Yes. But, but Mar- Marvel definitely <laughs> keeps trying to, to build these family things. I mean, there are how many X-Men books now and how many Avengers books, right? Which there used to be. Right. There have been a lot of X-Men books for a long time, but now there are a lot of Aveng- different kinds of Avengers. Yeah. And, and with Hulk, you know, they have, the, they have like the Red Hulk and they had Scar, Son of Hulk, and they have the Incredible Hulk and they had the... Although he, it was Hercules for a while, and and you know, they, so they're trying to to do that, which is actually I'm a little surprised there isn't more She-Hulk action going on, since at Marvel is trying to build these. You know, I think that's part of the strategy is to build these worlds within. Uh, I could say worlds within worlds here and make my Micronauts reference, so I might as well do that now. These <laughs> these little worlds, right? Where where it's not like you don't have to read every Marvel. It's somewhere in between reading like all the Marvel titles and reading one mm-hmm. book. It's to say, aha, now what, what you're going to do is you're going to read these six that are all in the, the X-Men family or the Avengers family. And they kind of, with, with like the Red Hulk especially, they're, they're trying to say, can we do more Hulks? Can we add some Hulks? Well, and there's a Red She-Hulk now. Yes, there is a Red She-Hulk, right? It's the, so there's like it is the Hulk family. That's why I keep saying is they've you know, tried to spread it out and make, make there be more Hulks. Which is weird since like the Hulk was this whole gamma bomb experiment gone wrong and they've managed to now She-Hulk was became She-Hulk because of a blood transfusion. Blood transfusion, yes. As, from, yes. His, as you from do. Banner's radioactive blood. Uh, and then uh, Hulk, the, the Scar son of Hulk came from that whole Planet Hulk series. Yes. Um, Wasn't where that he was where a, they stuck the Hulk on a spaceship and were like, yeah. Better luck next yeah. time, so, sucker. So right. I, I'm I'm holding in my hands the Planet Hulk card cover, by the way. And as somebody who is not my my girlfriend in high school actually ended up marrying the the guy who may be the biggest Incredible Hulk fan in the in the world. Um and I, I find that amusing because I, I like comics and I've never been a fan of the Hulk at all. But I gotta say, Planet Hulk by Greg Pak is great. And not just because there are many things in it that are Micronauts references. There are, <laughs> though. There are. Because Greg Pak like, <laughs> loved the Micronauts, too, when he was a kid. But um, it's a great self-contained story because literally, yeah, Lisa, they shoot the Hulk away in a spaceship and say, see you later because you oh, stop breaking God. our planet. And they, right. and they send him off to another planet, which he, of course, proceeds to break. But um, it's a great <laughs> no. self-contained story because he starts with nothing. And he and there's these the, this kind of complexity of what's going on on this planet. And it's this wild adventure where he goes from being – it's like Gladiator with the Hulk. He starts – in the in the pits as a as a warrior you know for for people's amusement and he uh, over time becomes essentially the ruler of the planet in this in in this 12 issue story arc and it's a great story so you know that that and and out of that spun uh, world war hulk and the and the scar son of hulk spinoff and things like that and i think i think maybe that's what gave the hulk a lot of uh, velocity is it's because hulk as a character is kind of in some ways is kind of boring because you know he smashes things and, and, and right. nobody can really decide does he is he have is he really intelligent or not intelligent at all or somewhere in between. And Planet Hulk, I felt like they gave him some definition and kind of a purpose and kind of a collection of characters around him. And I think they coasted on that or or I mean, that may be unfair to say. I think they took advantage of that 
for a while because it was like, oh, okay, this character now has some definition that it it never really had before. Well, I, I think the um, earlier in the the late eighties, early nineties, when uh, Peter David was running the the Hulk franchise and and did a, a fairly classic run on the Hulk, he tried to address that um, by essentially introducing the idea that the Hulk was um, because Banner was abused as a child the the hulk was um a manifestation of his his childhood rage um and then uh he became the gray hulk um which was his sort of repressed uh his repressed sexual side and um there's a better better explaining but the gray hulk (laughs) so i really like that peter david run um because the when he introduced the gray hulk uh which was a the, when the Hulk first came out, he was gray, and then four issues later, they made him green for no other reason than the printer really couldn't get gray right, <laughs> um, which it. was a problem with printing back in the 60s on, on newspaper. Um, and so they just went, okay, fine, make him green. Uh, so then Peter David brought back the gray Hulk through this when, you know, one of the banner trying to separate himself from Hulk things. And the gray Hulk was smaller, not as strong as the green Hulk, uh, didn't come out because of anger, came out at, at night. Um, and it was a, a nocturnal thing. Um, but he had intelligence and he was mean and nasty. And so what he ended up doing was he, the Grey Hulk. a nightmare character. What, well, the, this, the series then, um, it sort of had this big break where, oh my God, what happened to the Hulk? Is he dead or not? And then it, it jumps forward a period of time and there's this character in Vegas who's working as a um, essentially a bouncer at a casino in Vegas named Joe Fix-It. Joe Fix-It, right. Who's the Grey Hulk. And he establishes a life for himself and he gets a girlfriend and a job and, you know, there's a whole cast of characters in Vegas at the casino he works for. Um, and it was really intriguing. And then what had what he was doing was taking sleeping pills. So then Banner would sleep through the day and he'd be the Hulk at night. Um, and then what Peter David did was uh, eventually the Banner kept started coming out and all throughout the Hulk's history, it was the Hulk was effing with Banner's life. And Peter David turned it on his head, and now it was the Hulk who had a life. <laughs> and Banner kept coming back and trying to mess with like the Hulk's life in Vegas. Um, and I really liked the Joe Fixit character, and he had this girlfriend named Marlo. And then later on, you know, Betty Bruce Banner's girlfriend, sometimes wife, came back. And then so you had either Banner or the Hulk hanging out with both their girlfriend and the other personality's girlfriend. Um, which led to awkward conversations. Um, and there was like basically a cast of characters and some really interesting things happening. And then Peter David merged the different personalities and that's when the smart Hulk came out. And it was Banner as the Hulk. Uh, and that lasted a few years where he didn't change anymore and he had intelligence, but he was right. big and strong and green. Um, but I, I, my favorite of all of the Hulk stuff is that that run where it was Joe Fix It Joe in Fix Vegas, it. Hmm. Um, just because it it flipped the entire kind of dynamic of the series. Well, I I, I uh, that's good. I I I I highly recommend Intern Planet Hulk. I think there's some. So it's interesting because we're talking about the Hulk in comics. You know, the Hulk is a problematic character in general, right? Because we we've looked look at the movies, right? <laughs> right. We they, they've made two movies, the only two movies really in Marvel's collection of movies recently that have been. Um, almost entirely unsuccessful electra daredevil 
Yeah, well, okay, so the ones that are kind of under Marvel's control. <laughs> well, no, 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 there's a difference between the ones they went off and other studios produced them, but in, in the ones you're, you're they've right, been producing right. themselves, like they tried it with Ang Lee and then they tried it again with the, the French director and the, the, where and Edward Norton rewrote the and script. I, and I've seen both of them. And, yeah. and, the, the, and <laughs> I think the general feeling is that the movies didn't really get the Hulk right until the Avengers, you know, so... We, and then in the Avengers, there's a struggle and there's a lot of confusion from people who've seen the Avengers about the Hulk there because the implication, if you watch the Avengers uh, a, a couple of times, is that he is the rules are he's an uncontrollable range monster when he rages out and becomes the Hulk. But when he chooses to turn into the Hulk, there's more he's intelligence He's a lot smarter there. Yeah. and he can, he can collaborate. Right, yeah. right. So you get a little bit of both because that's the thing with the Hulk is he... You know, it's fun to watch him just be an uncontrollable rage monster, but there's not a lot you can do with that character. He just, he's like a tornado. He appears and destroys things and then goes away. But if you can give him a little bit of intelligence, then he becomes a little bit more interesting. And then, then he can become evil. Mm-hmm. The, the classic TV series did a good job with Hulk was just a rage monster. You know, with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Like uh, yeah, I, I, it dramatically it kind of cuts you off from a lot of possibilities there, and you know, it's true that that series was difficult because it was. I mean, it was really a repetitive show, and I watched it as a kid. But I mean, literally every week he would just go to a town and befriend somebody, <laughs> and the Hulk would appear, and a crusading reporter would be chasing him, and you know, it was it was kind of all the same, and and in a movie you know i think you i think you little you need more it's a really interesting you know I, i'm amazed that the hulk is as recognizable and successful a character as he is and has had these spinoffs and created the she hulk and all of these other things well, he's because, kind of like a dinosaur in the sense that little kids think that dinosaurs are cool and you love looking at their <laughs> fossils and the truth of the matter is, is if you ran across a 12 foot tall lizard that was capable of snapping you in half like an hors d'oeuvre you'd be filled with a combination of terror and loathing. And I, I think maybe the Hulk is the same way, where so long as he's this fictitious giant agent of chaos, you know, you enjoy that he gives other people headaches and you just don't have to examine it very closely. I mean, sometimes I think the Hulk is a better idea, better, you know, on yeah. paper than in practice, just in general, that it's a cool idea and judiciously used, which may also be part of the trick of why it works in the Avengers is that, it's not a movie about him and he can be a small part of well, he's, the movie. Yeah, he's kind of the garnish, the parsley of the yeah. movie. And it also helps that Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. have worked together before and they've got a nice chemistry. Oh, yeah, that's the huge. So, because yeah, Banner and getting... It's all about their chemistry. Yeah, and the interaction between Banner and Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, I, I, I'm... You know, I think the Hulk is really a problematic character and it's amazing. But there's obviously, as my high school girlfriend's husband would attest, you know, he obviously has some some... Uh, huge appeal because he's got he's got his fans and i think maybe it has to do with these kind of you know places where it goes off into unexpected areas whether you're sending him to another planet or you're giving him a job in las vegas and have and flipping the whole thing on its head you know Mm -hmm. that maybe but but again what does that say about the character that the most interesting things are when, when, when you deviate from his, yeah. from his from his scripted role when you've got smart writers who are like what can i do to this to make this interesting and it's not the core it's something very different <laughs> when was he created what was about what about what uh he, he was in the the 63 or 64 he was one of the original you know marvel fantastic four spider-man 1962 Steve. it says ah. so it's yeah the original 
Marvel. So I'm wondering if he's basically a relic of his time. Because when you think about it, we tend to treat anti-heroes and heroes much differently than... Well, and the Hulk's not a hero Hulk. either, right? Yeah. I mean, he's not. He, no, he's... he's basically chaotic neutral at best. <laughs> to put it in D&D alignment terms. <laughs> back, back in the day when it was a small Marvel universe, um, he was the anti-character who would appear, you know, would fight the Fantastic Four. He would fight... He was the cause of the Avengers getting together. Right. See, um, in the ultimate universe, he's basically doing that too. Cause Bruce right. Banner is just this despicable toady, little scientist. And, uh, he ends up being a lot more trouble than he's worth, especially as the Hulk. Um, right. And so actually I'm glad you brought up ultimate Hulk, because I think that's a really sort of good writing of the character in yeah. that he's just this, you know, rage monster who goes around eating people. Um, and and threatening sexual in, violence against folks. Freddie Prince Jr. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and send some the shield in the Ultimate Universe. They're 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 basically just a bunch of cold hearted SOBs. Their entire mo for keeping him alive until it's too inconvenient for Bruce to be alive is is how can we use this to our advantage in a world where we're we're getting invaded by crazy aliens and there are despots and so on and so forth. And then in the Ultimate Universe, they do try to kill him. It obviously doesn't take, yeah. but uh, right. it's it's a solution. That's actually, I, I know there are a lot of people who have very strong feelings about the Ultimate Universe one way or the other. And one of the things I've always enjoyed about the Ultimates is um, they actually do kill people both mm-hmm. for, for very tactical or strategic reasons or because they're just jerkwads. And I've always, uh, and, and well, that Ultimate that jerkwads. Oh yeah, no, and but that closes plot loops holes that get introduced in in other you know mainstream books where you, where you can't have Captain America go shooting people because he's Captain America, or well the X Men can always fight Magneto to a draw, but no one is ever going to blow his head off. Um, and I I like I like that the writers in the Ultimate books always had the guts to uh, close those loopholes, even though it, it <laughs> makes for some depressing reading after a while. <laughs> right. Yes. But yeah, no, Ultimate Hulk, big fan. <laughs> That's President Captain America to you, by the way. Uh, oh. So they've gone off the rails a bit. <laughs> I've only read the first two trades I... so far. So Steve is technically only coming in from the cold by the time I've gotten around to it. And yeah, don't actually bother yeah. going beyond those first two trades of the. Audience. I enjoy having Reed Richards as a supervillain, though. That I, is I... that is clever. But I, I'm I'm basically sticking with Ultimate Spider-Man only. But yeah. but uh, I do like the idea that that Ultimate Reed Richards is a, is a crazy bad guy. Oh yeah. Right. Well, it makes sense because they made him so socially maladapted and smart, and uh, you know it's 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 a good combination for uh, people who are well. I'm smarter than you, and I have a grudge. So here I go. <laughs> so, so the um, have you seen the new um, Indestructible Hulk series by Mark Wade that I guess is currently on issue number four? I have part of this whole Marvel now. No. So the premise there is kind of playing off the Avengers movie um Steve or uh, Bruce Banner has decided you know he is one of the smartest guys on the planet uh but because of this whole raging hulk monster thing he doesn't have any respect and actually isn't doing any good and you know you have Tony Stark going out and doing all these amazing things and Reed Richards you know saving the world and um he, why can't he do that so he goes to shield um with an offer that says essentially you give me an unlimited budget and a staff and I will give you like, you know, inventions that will transform the planet and, you know, feed the sick and all that kind of stuff. Um, and what you get out of it in return is, uh, you can use the Hulk as a strategic bomb huh. essentially. 
Uh, and so he's done this deal, but it's all about um, he feels inferior to Tony Stark and wants to do something about that. Tired of being the agent of chaos and wants to... Right. Interesting. Why can't I be Mr. Science Man? So he's made this deal where S.H.I.E.L.D. Like gets Pym, the Hulk. Though. It sounds like what? Hank Pym. Who, yeah, uh, a bit yeah. like Hank Pym. Yeah, yeah, since one of Hank Pym's problems, other than beating his wife, is uh, the fact that he's definitely like a second-tier intellect in a world that has a, a, a lot of very showy first-tier intellects. Yeah, the the, the Hank Pym-Bruce uh, Banner thing always bugged me because it's, you know, how many times can we have the brilliant scientist? Well, I mean, Reed Richards, too, right? It's like, how many times? Is mm-hmm. it the brilliant scientist with the personality problems? Of course, you know, Banner's personality problems tend to, like, destroy cities. So that's extreme. Yeah, and, and kill multiple people. So, Do we have more on, on the Hulk, or are we hulked out? Are we, are we slowly <laughs> shrinking back into our human form? Honestly, this discussion has made me appreciate John Byrne's She-Hulk more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it has, because there's a sense of humor there, and you can kind of... He, okay, and here's another reason to appreciate it, and none of these writers came close to it, but um, if you take a look at a lot of the X-Men, for example, you've got some very powerful female mutants, and they're all incredibly attractive and well within like the normal parameters for, for the way women are supposed to look. You know, they're all, they, they, they fill out a white leather bikini nicely, Emma, or, um, <laughs> or you know, oh, they're just adorable in their little mini dress, Rachel Summers, mm. or, or what have you. Um, it, can't we just say I, that Emma Frost is basically just wearing lingerie now? She's even given up the God, yeah. pretense She's of it. Not- Pants are for suckers, she says, before she goes out. (laughs) But you've got somebody in She-Hulk who is basically this manifestation of, um, you know, incredible, uncompromising strength. And she falls a little bit outside the parameters for attractiveness. I mean, Byrne makes her very attractive, but he also makes it clear that she's something of a physical freak. It's an interesting commentary on on how strong women or, or, or extremely strong women outside the parameters of social, of social acceptance are viewed and treated in society and the choices they have in dealing with it. Um, and I'm kind of relieved in a way that they actually play this as a comedic thing instead of, you know, a serious meditation on women in power and strength and blurp, blurp, blurp. But um, I, I find it interesting that, that with She-Hulk, you actually have the opportunity to have a character that can make people think for a minute about okay, maybe one of the reasons it's difficult for her is because she isn't five foot six and filling out um, a black spandex cat suit like, like Aurora Monroe or anything like that. That You know, she's seven feet tall and she's got, you know, 15-inch wide shoulders and uh, and she's bright green. Here's, yeah. here's, here's what I'd say about She-Hulk is I always have been impressed that She-Hulk is a character that is, it's a, she's a woman who's big and strong and athletic mm-hmm. and has muscles and yet is you know, always portrayed as having feminine qualities too. Oh, yeah. And oh, I yeah. and I think that's good because, you know, you don't I honestly I think you don't see a lot of portrayals of characters like that. They they tend to be um you know, even women superheroes, like you said, they tend to be more shaped like supermodels. Yeah. And and there's a tendency that if they're not, that they're you know, that they're not considered I'm not I'm not actually saying what I think I'm about to say which is that yay big strong muscly tall women can be treated by sex as sex objects in the <laughs> comics too woo but there is something uh, this is backward feminism I realize but it's like you know just because she's strong and has muscles and is tall it doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that she's she not desirable is not desirable it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that she's not a woman and 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 
and dr- dresses like a woman and it, and is and is has feminine aspects too and i think that's kind of cool that her her femininity is still intact even though she's big this, and strong this is always my problem with marvel movies and things like that though is you like you take a look at say the x-men movies and you've got these women who were all obviously models before they became actors with with the exception of maybe anna pekin and I just keep thinking these people, these these women are supposed to be going up against, you know, like the U.S. Army or 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 this this hordes of angry mutants. And they're and all soft and willowy and supermodel. <laughs> they look like they could be snapped in half by a pretzel stick. Which and, because they could. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know when you think about it, the Avengers, it's kind of the same thing. Where I mean, Scarlett Johansson is 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 not exactly waif like, and she fills out a black cat suit nicely, but. Um, She's not what she she doesn't look like some you know she's not built like somebody who who obviously spends a lot of their time breaking people's snapping people's necks with their thighs or whatever right. it is that Black Widow is supposed to be able to do. So the um the second series of the sensational She Hulk when Burn came back, which is uh, issues thirty one through fifty, mm-hmm. uh, they play on that a bit more. Where essentially because of various things happening in issues, uh, she ends up being naked in a lot of them. And most of the time of she turns to burn and she's oh. like, I don't care how many more copies this is going to sell. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not doing it, including the cover of issue 40, which I'm looking at right now, has her naked on the cover, but she's sort of covering herself up with the Comics Code Authority label. <laughs> oh, that's really um, funny. And Burns' hand is coming in from off screen holding a jump rope. And she's saying... Hey, no, you're kidding, right? <laughs> and he's saying, quit stalling. We've got 22 pages to fill. Oh, God, that's funny. I just looked that up. And the first oh. uh For the six first several pages, pages Jen yeah, is she's... skipping rope, apparently naked. Jen complains a respected superhero is being reduced to this due to a simple joke she made in the letters column. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> that's, that's I'm she a member of the Avengers. The it's, it's, uh, it gets pretty funny. Oh, that's great. And, and then, then they throw in the shower after that. Yep. Oh, good lord! It, it, <laughs> this they, is horrifying. Right. <laughs> We've learned more about the She-Hulk than. Uh... Well, we've yes. learned that she's apparently allergic to carbs if her stomach mm. is any indication. Yeah. Oh, that's delightful. <laughs> well, she's got the gamma-induced uh, metabolism that just can't yeah. be. Yeah, I think the uh, it's interesting because reading the Dan Slott story now, it, mm. it feels a little bit more dated to me in some yeah. ways like i know you guys were saying that the burn stuff feels very 80s mm-hmm. well it looks very 80s but the writing is not if that makes sense yeah it's like when you watch the movie singing in the rain it feels kind of modern even though it was very obviously made in the 1950s it's it's yeah and 80s comics feel like home to me so mm-hmm. sure it, so I, I i happen to like them but i think the the burn series every now and probably every three or four years i, I pick it up off the shelf and read it again and enjoy it every time hmm. oh nice yeah. So should we move on and talk a little bit about what we're reading? Sure. I'm embarrassed to say I have. I don't think I've read much since the last time we talked comics. Well, so I, I I've read something in the last time. This is really my excuse to say that I want to thank I think Jason for recommending in our last comic book club recommending Hawkeye. Oh yeah. Yeah. Matt Fraction. Yeah, yeah. You're liking it. So so let me li- liking it. I have purchased and read every single issue of it. Um, yeah, Matt Fraction, uh, Hawkeye, the new series from Marvel up to what is it now? I think it, I think it's up to issue eight. I think eight. just came out. Yeah, I cannot begin to describe how much I love Hawkeye, and I, I you know, <laughs> I, don't you feel weird saying that? Now, are you reading this on the iPad? 
I am reading it on the iPad. Yeah, I know it's, it's a God, bizarre statement. I cannot, uh-huh. Jason, I can't believe I'm even saying these words because it's Hawkeye. Come on. <laughs> right. I remember him in the West Coast Avengers and <laughs> M- with Mockingbird and all that. The Hawkeye Matt Fraction series is so great. It is one of the best comics I have read in the last decade. It is so great. So I recommend to anybody, I think the first trade is coming out this month, next month, soon. Yeah, it's. I think the first trade's like next month. Uh, order. Go get awesome. it. Or, I will get it then. Or for just sure. or just buy the, the. I mean, Marvel does a good job with uh, discounting ish older issues on Comicsology. So the older issues are like one ninety nine or or something like that. I I, I can't recommend it high, highly enough. Let me count the ways. And I know Jason talked about this a little bit too, uh, in our last comic book club. It, it you know the idea is it's when he's not with the Avengers. It, it's like dealing with problems in his personal life and he's kind of a mope he's kind of a kind of a schlub of a guy other than the fact that he's got his super arrow powers and he only has the super arrow powers right so people can like beat him up and unless he can shoot them with an arrow there's not a lot he can do and so it's his like personal life almost every issue starts out with him saying okay this looks bad and then (laughs) and then resolves what's going on that has led him to this point the so so story wise it's great because it's it's there are mundane elements and then mixed in with kind of crime and superhero elements so in the first issue there's the the these kind of russian mobsters who are doing kind of like a shakedown on the people in his apartment building um and there's a dog that he's trying to take to the vet and um and it's a thing of beauty uh and, and the so so I love the story aspect of Hawkeye, but the other thing I want to talk about is the is the the art and the design of the comic because it's oh, a, yeah. and the coloring it's amazing. So the covers are beautiful. The covers are just I mean the the covers alone are worth it because they're these beautifully designed images on these covers. It's not like any other comic cover you're going to see. And then the way the issues are built, the, the style of the art, um, the style of the panels, there are a lot of blocky panels, sort of like, you know, three rows of three. That hap- you, you get that a lot. The, the art style is a little bit rough, but, um, but uh, really, really nice in its own way. And, and, and uh, you know, you got to see it to understand it, but it, it's really uh, very stylized and yet uh, really inviting. And then the coloring is the most amazing thing because Hawkeye's a purple superhero, right? Which can be problematic. Not everybody likes purple. But the way this is, these comics are colored is they're in shades of purple. It's a very monochromatically colored book. <laughs> it's a nice callback to his old uniform. Exactly. And it's and it's oh. and and it's I mean the coloring alone is so amazingly beautiful and it's because of the palette and 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 the colors that get chosen and and it's it doesn't look like any comic that I've seen recently, certainly any mainstream comic. And that, that's sort of my bottom line about when I, as I'm raving about Hawkeye here is that this is a Marvel comic set in the Marvel universe with a character who's in the Avengers, which is the number one Marvel property right now. And it reads like an indie comic about sort of, you know, again, satirizing things on the edge of superhero tropes. It never feels like it's not taking its, its characters and situations seriously, you know, it's not a self, it's not a parody, but it's very knowing about all those tropes. And it's trying to tell some interesting stories out on the edges. And I'm kind of amazed that it's being published by Marvel because that's an act of confidence in Matt Fraction. Um, but it's, 
it is it, it really is astounding. I was I was blown away when I started to read it because it was not what I expected, and it, and it's and it's good in so many on so many different axes. It's good in art and color and story and dialogue. The dialogue is laugh out loud funny. I had to read dialogue from the comic to my wife because she was looking at me like, "Why are you laughing so hard?" Because just the dialogue is funny. So. You know, again, I can't say if you're if you're somebody who likes comics, good comics, you should you should read this Matt Fraction Hawkeye because it's it's a really really good comic. So thank you, Jason, for recommending it. I I took your recommendation and checked it out, and then I couldn't nice. stop because it, it it's it's uh yeah it's great. It's it's shocking how good a, you would never imagine that a comic about Hawkeye would be that good. Yeah, it's great. It's beautiful, and and the storytelling isn't isn't always linear, which is also nice. There are a lot of cutting back and forth. It's not it's not a a dumb comic. It's a very smart comic that requires attention and and is very rewarding. Uh, it's yeah, it's really good. Ooh, I'm so excited about this now. Hawkeye. Yeah, see, you couldn't believe you're excited about Hawkeye, but there you are. <laughs> right, excited about weird. Hawkeye. <laughs> I liked him in the, again. This is my theme. I liked him in the Ultimates. I like the way they wrote them in the Ultimates. Well, and essentially now the Marvel Universe is what they did in the Ultimates. Practically, yeah. 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 Right down to Nick Fury Jr. <laughs> right down. Who is Lord. just Nick Fury except black and looks like Samuel Jackson. <laughs> it's really disconcerting actually to go back to the uh, the Ultimate books that they wrote back before they started making all the Marvel movies and, and realize how the Nick Fury character does and doesn't look like Sam Jackson. And then when you see him play, I've, I've sort of mixed them up in my head. So I'm like, but why does the comic not like Samuel L. Jackson anymore? Actually, dep- depending on, on the portrayal, my understanding is that the Nick Fury in Ultimate was, they actually called Samuel Jackson up and said, you know, would you like to be in a comic? Because we've got this yeah. Ultimate Nick Fury and we want him to look like you. And he was like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Send <It's>, me comics. <laughs> I, be- I believe he's actually got a couple of the layout pages framed. That was yeah. one of the Apocrypha that I, I had heard. Um the the art is yeah it's it's not quite an exact um you know you don't look at it and go there there's a vague resemblance to Sam Jackson in the early Ultimate stuff um, well in Ultimate Spider Man he's a he's a dead ringer I thought in the Ultimates he was a dead ringer too hmm. not quite as much I I went back and looked I, and I found the books and dug them out and looked at them again um just like in my head I remember Thor looking more like Brad Pitt in uh, <laughs> No, Thor looked like yeah. Brad Pitt in uh, Troy, yep. and there are a lot of shots of him like that. Um, I, I think what happened is that you know the he looked like the idea of if Samuel Jackson was Nick Fury, yeah. and then Samuel Jackson became actual Nick Fury, yeah. and now he, so it's by a different standard now that we've seen him exactly actually yes, be Nick Fury. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to just like, hey, that's kind of like if what if Samuel L. Jackson was Nick Fury? Well, now he is actually. Right. Is is it wrong to say Samuel Jackson's a little bit more heavy set? Then he appears as Nick Fury in the comics. That may be. Yeah. That was a long time ago. He was 10 years younger back then. He's got a fatter face now. Yeah. Well, he's, what, in his 60s? But I mean, he's, still, yeah. he's still yeah. Sam Jackson, so, you know, he's still yeah. awesome. So, he's still Nick Fury. Yeah. So, Lisa, what are you reading? I went and read the rebooted Ultimates. Um, ah. The, I read the first two trade paperbacks, and um, what I really liked about them was uh, Reed Richards' supervillain. Yep. Um, I also enjoy that Thor appears to be losing his mind. Um, but, uh, and, and I also enjoy that Tony Stark has a uh, sentient brain tumor that he talks to. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's, 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 it's good it's that okay. they're sticking with that. Cause that was how they introduced <laughs> ultimate Iron Man was that he was dying and he was yeah. sort of doing things as sort of part of his, his kind of like, well, whatever, I got nothing to lose. I'm dying. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. then they were like, well, maybe not. 
<laughs> not really. Um, but I don't know. It's it's. I don't know if it's just a question of. Um, is that Millar I, and Hitch? Uh, not this time out. Oh no! This um, is the right. This is the reboot. She's doing the Ultimate right. Comics. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah. This is the reboot that was that was published fairly recently after the weird and cataclysmic events that closed out the Ultimate Universe the last time. Up to and including the right. wasp being eaten by the blob and and other and and Bad many 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 people drowning inexplicably and it's right. it, it, you know honestly the end of that reminded me of like what happens when a bunch of eight year olds have gotten really tired of playing GI Joe yes. and someone has to go home and yeah. they're like well we need to wrap this up the next thing you know yeah exactly <laughs> um, okay so this and, is Jonathan um, Hickman it looks like so yeah. And it's not like the writing is bad. It's 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 a really nice tight story and there's enough hooks in there that will let it maintain momentum and so on and so forth. But I don't know if it's just because I've already read through one ultimate series that I'm like, eh, you know, the shock of reboot or eh, the shock of putting these characters in slightly different contexts. Um there isn't the same uh, oh that's there isn't the same frisson of, of 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 surprise or intrigue it's just kind of again you kind of get the feeling that it's a bunch of people playing with the little characters and oh wouldn't it be funny if 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 thor loses his mind after valhalla is sucked it is 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 sucked into reed richard's magic space city or the original ultimates felt like something really different that we hadn't seen before right exactly. that it was like this yeah. this isn't the avengers it's the ultimates and it's a very different conception and now it sort of feels like it's the Avengers. This, the original <laughs> Ultimates have this almost this real politic going on with yes. it, where these people weren't exactly superheroes. They were people who happened to be on the right side of history or the right side of politics yeah. for the time being. There's some, something almost kind of sinister about it. It's a government kind of yeah. set up and, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to... Yeah. It, it's very much, if you go back and read those uh, Millar Hitch Ultimate series, is it's, uh, it, it feels very much... Um, War in Afghanistan, George yep. W. Bush president, yep. kind of oh, yeah. of its no, time. It's, it's 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 of its time the same way where if you go back and read uh, their their take on the authority, that's it's pretty much right. you could read those back to back basically. Yeah, you're and, right. And, actually, I hadn't thought of that. You're exactly right. <laughs> and uh, and this time out, it's it's got a more muddied feeling to it, and it feels a little franchise ready, if that makes sense. Like as they like as they drew it, you could tell they were already kind of mentally casting the movie, or or how how they could change this change this into a movie treatment. So, I'm not sorry I read the books, but I'm not sure I'm going to be continuing with this iteration. Right. And uh, um, I got a bunch of nonfiction graphic novels for Christmas, so I'm probably going to be diving into those next. You should read the uh, um, the Wrinkle in Time if you haven't yet. I should. It's on my it's on my wish list. I love I love that book so much. We're gonna I'm, I'm we're really, gonna do that I'm, as a podcast. So you need to. I'm really af- graphic novel I'm first. kind of afraid of it because I really love the novel so much. I mean, that was one of the formative <laughs> books of my childhood. I'm kind of afraid to see what they're going to do with it because if they get it wrong, I'm just going to cut somebody. I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's incredibly faithful. So, yeah. but you know, right. it, she does have to envision uh, what those things look like. But I think she yeah. did a really good job. So you should you should check that out because I want to I want to do a, uh, an episode about the book and the graphic novel in a few in the next few months. What I've started reading is A.D. New Orleans After the Deluge, Deluge by Josh Newfield, and it's a work of it's it's a, a nonfiction graphic novel about the uh, diaspora out of New Orleans after Katrina, huh. and uh, it's really quite good. He does a lot of really nice work with color to help you follow through people's narratives, so you can see the common threads through people's experiences, so you can keep track of what's happening to people as they're either trapped in the Superdome or they're they're flooded out in their own building or they're. Uh, Hitting, hitting the back roads, trying desperately to get out of the area. Um, 
Uh, it's not a light read, so it's not no. something I recommend you read after a bad day at work or a long day or what have you, but it's it's definitely something where I'm enjoying reading it in small chunks and putting it all together. Well, we're almost out of time, but I have to ask Jason Brightman because he blew me away last time with Hawkeye. What, Jason, what are you reading? So it's interesting that um, Lisa's reading The um, Ultimates uh, by Hickman, which I actually found pretty disappointing um, because my book I'm reading now that I'm really liking is the the new series of Avengers by Hickman. Huh. Uh, and if you read his Fantastic Four run, which was, fan- which was fantastic, uh, it, it uh, was cosmic and epic, and he's really great at those cosmic kind of stories. And I thought, oh, how is he going to do Avengers? That's not going to be – they're not very cosmic. Um, but he's got a cosmic story going on in Avengers now that's blowing me away uh, with how great it is. They're on issue um, – six or seven or i think uh, seven just came out today uh and uh they're playing to my 80s nostalgia and bringing back the new universe uh which was the big marvel 25th anniversary uh thing in 1987 that they did um but doing it in a really really interesting way huh so it's it's uh the the new series essentially starts out with um Tony Stark and Steve Rogers uh, having a conversation about the world is is bigger and more complicated and the threats are bigger and so the Avengers have to get bigger and uh, so now they invite everybody onto the Avengers so it's got like Cannonball and Sunspot from the New New Mutants Mutants. are on the Avengers and um, all these characters I've never seen before are on the Avengers and they're fighting this big epic cosmic stuff Um, but just like he did in Fantastic Four, he's having a lot of these kind of one-off stories, uh, which ostensibly are kind of like character origins to make you more familiar with some of these characters like Captain Universe and um, the Protector that you may not be familiar with. But hey, then, Jason, Captain yeah. Universe, by the way, do you remember what comic introduced Captain Universe? Wasn't, was it Micronauts? <laughs> it was Micronauts number eight, in fact. So there, ha, boom. Right. Boom. So uh, there's a new Captain Universe in this, and she's awesome and crazy. Um, but the uh, they keep doing these kind of one character vignettes in as an issue, uh, but you know that like what's being talked about in there will be like super important seven or eight issues from now because it's kind of the way Hickman works. Uh, so is this is this plotter called Avengers World because that's the name of the trade that's coming out next month? Yes, uh, yes. Um, and it just the I'm a big fan of the new universe from the mid '80s. Um, for what they try to do. And then a couple years ago, Warren Ellis tried to do a reboot of that called New Universal. And so Hickman is picking up on ideas from New Universal and um, and uh, the original series. And it feels very much like the aspects of the authority that I liked. And we've talked about the authority on the podcast before, or planetary. It has a lot of, like, there's a bigger systems thing happening in the universe. Um, and... It, what's going on now in the Avengers is the system is broken. And to me, it's kind of very intriguing and cosmic and interesting, and uh, I'm eating it up. All right. Cool. I'll check it out. It's not going to be as good as Hawkeye, but I'll check it no, out. But actually, <laughs> if you like Hawkeye, you may want to check out um, Matt Fraction and, and uh, Ed Brubaker work together on Iron Fist. Iron Fist, yeah. And it yeah. was very much in like Hawkeye pushes it further into he's just a schlep kind of story. Um, but a lot of the nice things about Hawkeye are in those Iron Man series. And only the first um, 
two trades all right have that and then they go in a different uh direction and it it it, it reads much more like a 1970s kung fu story so it has a different vibe but there's a lot of similarities to the hawkeye beyond that the running gag in uh in hawkeye is that he keeps being mistaken for iron fist <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. are you that iron fist guy he's like no I'm not. Uh, <laughs> right, because I think the artist is the same. Yeah, too. I think like, it's the it, same. Yeah, the same yeah, guys. Yeah, it has a nice vibe. But I, I love the Iron Fist series, and I love the Hawkeye series even more. And it is weird to say, I love Hawkeye, I and know. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's a great comic. It's a great comic. All right, I think we've reached the end of our uh, our allotted time for this comic book club. Um, we'll be back with another comic book club soon, although we're going to have to figure out what we're going to talk about. So we'll do that. <laughs> Uh, that, that that's a good question. We've had She-Hulk kind of sitting on the back burner for a few months, so I'm glad we finally got her out of the law firm and into the podcast. So until our next episode of The Incomparable, I would like to thank my comic book club members. Lisa Schmeiser, thanks for being here. It was a pleasure. As always. And uh, Jason Brightman, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable again and another comic book club. Uh, until next time, this is Jason Snell. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.